What's up, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of IndiePod, where we get to talk to the people behind some of our favorite indie games. Today, we have Ty Abbott, the developer behind Lucid, Parables of Ubermensch. Thanks for joining. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited to have you on. I'm glad you're here. I love that when you reached out, you know, uh, you seemed very passionate. You sounded like you had a good story to tell. So I'm I'm into it. I'm ready to hear it. Uh, let's dive right into it. Sure. Tell me a little bit about how you got started and kind of what it was like to get to this game creation process for you. Well, ever since I was young, I always really loved video games. You know, I would like to think that I have a, a more balanced, like, uh, you know, entertainment life balance at this point in my life. But especially <laughs> when I was younger, all I did was sit and play games. Yep. And in that, I will say that there was a little bit of, as I grew with the medium, there was a little bit of discontentment with how games are presented. I love the fact that most games are fun. You know, the majority of the games that I enjoy to play are fun. Mm-hmm. But I do see potential in the artistic medium for more. I see potential for us to, you know, do more with our medium, you know, such yeah. as, you know, films, books, or movies have. And I have some, you know, I feel like as someone who loves the medium and has those like artistic and programming inclinations, I feel some responsibility to try and, you know, realize some of that potential, hence my work. Right, right. That makes sense. Let me let me ask you before we dive a little bit more into your background. When games like um, Grease came out, uh, or Grizz, depending on how you want to pronounce it, um, there was a whole big discussion around the idea of if it is a game, does it have to be fun, right? And that that goes into the whole, is it telling a story? Is it, it showcasing something? Does it have to have that element of crazy gameplay or whatever? You know, where do you land on that? Because I, 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 I enjoy your mindset around this of trying to take this medium to the next level, right? And that might not necessarily mean that it always has to be that like, arcade game style of fun right where do you land on this i would i would argue that there's some discussion in the industry about what the main goal of a game designer should be some people say it's fun some people say it's elegance of design what i would argue that the main goal of a game developer developer should be is engagement and a lot Mm -hmm. of the times that is fun but it's not always to answer your question i don't think that game should solely be fun there's plenty of uh, games out there that I would describe as explicitly not fun, but they're some of the best examples of what our medium has to offer. Uh, barely no one has played it, but it's been discussed to hell and back. Spec Ops The Line, which is perhaps one of my favorite games, is a um, it, it's a war shooter which uh, slowly devolves into a character study about a man trying to cope with the horrible things that he's done in combat. That game is expressly not a very fun game. Its combat is slow. It's not engaging in that sense, but it keeps you engrossed in the world through its storytelling. And right. to me, that's not only a game. It's one of the best games ever made. Wow. All right. All right. Now, uh, one of the things that you mentioned to me when you reached out, you sent in your email that you wanted to help bring about a new era of storytelling for games. And I think for those listening to the the couple of minutes so far, you can kind of hear that already in a lot of your explanations. But can you elaborate a little bit on how you're attempting to do this and, and why it's so important to you? I So when I take a look at the scope of our industry, it's uh, 
I, I start in the 80s. Now, there was games before that. But if you think about the average game in the 80s, you think about its target demographic being children, you know, generally an arcade, or if not an arcade, at the very least, the surface level approach. Then, but as our medium progresses, we continually and continually have more opportunities with technology and artistic merits to do more exciting things. To me, I see that culminated in around the time of Bioshock's release. Mm -hmm. Bioshock is a game that truly reached to, to be some sort of Citizen Kane of video games. And it mm -hmm. failed in that pursuit, but our medium is better for trying to do something such as Bioshock to try to connect with themes, to try to... Most video games, I would argue, don't have something to say thematically. And I find that to be a very sad state of affairs because like all art, we have the opportunity to change people's lives, not to right. be a mere distraction. And with that, I would I would say that, you know, I'd, I wouldn't say that any of my art has been necessarily revolutionary to the industry yet. But at the very least, I would like to attempt to try and make those wide changes to be a game that does have themes, to be a game that is trying to communicate a vision to their player and a game that has something genuinely to say. Gotcha. Gotcha. What, let's let's uh, backtrack a little bit. You mentioned that Bioshock to you wasn't that success, right? Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Like what, what was it that you think didn't, take it to the next level, right? I think that Bioshock has an issue with, uh, it's, it's been discussed a hell and back in the industry, this topic too, but a ludonarrative dissonance. What ludonarrative dissonance describes is the, is like the dissonance between gameplay and story. Yep. The story of Bioshock is a man that's struggling between his, uh, I guess, uh, spoilers, light spoilers for Bioshock. Right. The, um, the story of Bioshock is a man who's trying to debate whether or not to kill little girls in pursuit of power or to preserve their lives and to have a harder existence for that. And that ties into the themes of Randian objectivism. Mm -hmm. a, you know, a complete libertarian would you know, do whatever is in his best interest. An objectivist, that would be the objectivist thing to do. Right. But in the gameplay of Bioshock, there isn't an incentive to kill the little girls because the gameplay isn't hard enough to incentivize you to do that. Well, the story of Bioshock is telling the story of someone struggling with their morality, but the gameplay of Bioshock doesn't back that up su substantially enough to make the world seem real. Interesting. Interesting. So you think that in order to, to really hit that message on the head, they would have to apply that even more severely to how difficult it would be to survive in the world of Bioshock without taking advantage of, you know, killing those little girls to get that extra power. Yes, you know, there's specific disadvantages and advantages of the video game artistic, you know, you know, medium. Mm -hmm. And with that, you have to keep in mind what makes video games specifically special in that way. Right. right. You, if you're going to make the truly a truly great video game story, what you have to do is to take advantages of the agency and the closeness the player has with the main character. And that control is where Bioshock attempted to make the great video game story. And its uh, inability, or I think actually uh, publishers decide, 
so so to backtrack a little bit uh that that decision the developers wanted to make it very hard not to kill the little girls but the publishers decided that it would that it would be too harmful to the game sales to pursue that artistically right so really i would argue it's the publisher's fault but <laughs> the fact that it did not follow through on that mechanic limited it narratively but you know even more so than that it's uh, it's constrictions came from the fact that it was a game that's an interesting way to 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 look at it uh from a very you know um it's a very way to like to dissect this right um mm -hmm. is each of these pieces when you think about a game or you think about a, a piece of media has an impact uh one way or another right of um course. Let me let me uh, go into kind of your background and what you've done, um, because I'd like to hear from from your perspective, kind of, do you have any examples of, of things that you've done in the past, maybe with this current game that we're going to talk about uh, shortly, or with just other works that you've uh, done that have kind of hit on, you know, that that emphasis of trying to really impact gameplay with story? Uh, so I, I do believe that most of this interview will be about uh, lucid parables of the Ubermensch. And uh, there is, with the hindsight of working on it in the past, I've been able to recognize more of its uh, flaws coming into, you know, my next project. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll briefly talk about uh, Artie Mars, which I think is my best example of uh, fusing gameplay and story. In, in Artie Mars, uh, there is a consistent... At any point, you can choose to leave the game and get a uh, separate ending from which it, from what is the normal ending. Interesting. And I, I don't I don't create branching narratives. What I what I create is a player agency. So at any point, you can walk through a door labeled exit. You can walk down a large hallway and you can just leave the player area. And in that, it represents the player character giving up. That is not something that you could offer in any other artistic medium. Right. The choice to give up is not something that you could offer in a movie because a movie is inherently a linear experience. A game can offer that. And that is a game taking advantage of the story and mechanical together. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting way to, to look at it. Before we dive into more about the actual game, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your process and kind of how you've been working on games or this game specifically, uh, because I was looking at the Steam page just to look up a little bit more information on the game and kind of how it was created. And I can see that you're not only the dev, but also the publisher in this. And, and that's not to say that's odd, especially when it comes to indie development. But do you have any other people who are helping you out throughout this process? Or are you one of those, you know, full-time solo devs from start to finish? Uh, on my most recent project, I've employed the help of uh, my good friend, Anne Hep. She's done you know, a couple musical pieces for me. But Lucid was entirely uh, my project start to end. Hmm. Uh, Lucid was, you know, there, there is aspects of it that you know, one could maybe argue could have been done better by someone who is specialized. But uh, I've done all the marketing, the art, the gameplay, the programming, the scripting, things of that nature on my own. Gotcha. And this is more for just my purpose because I'm, I'm always interested in this. But like, what was your reasoning behind uh, focusing on that project as solo work versus, say, this next one where you're 
you know, getting a few other people or this one other individual on board with it, right? Was it more just timing? Was it more resources? Was it more just you pushing yourself to see if you could do just a solo game? Like, I'm, I'm interested to see the difference in uh, different reasons, uh, if you will, on why someone would do solo versus team development. Uh, I would I would argue it's because Lucid was a very personal piece of art. Lucid is a very esoteric game that has a lot of symbolism that I've seen not... A lot of it has been received and a lot of it has been interrogated. But much of it is practically only significant to me. Uh, Lucid was very niche and it was very difficult to penetrate the surface of what Lucid was truly about. And that would make it difficult to work on with a team because there would have to be layers of translation of what's going on in my right. mind to what the actual narrative would be. Gotcha. And, yeah, that's not that, that. I think that's the niche appeal of Lucid on some level. It's kind of a stream of consciousness of what, you know, my personal experience of an artist. Artie Mars, however, is a more traditional narrative. It has a coherent plot structure, more coherent characters. It has a consistent setting. It's not particularly abstract in most scenes. And because of that, it's been able, it's been far easier to collaborate on people. And that, that the, the final thing I will mention is uh, I, I did not know uh, my, my, my friend, Anne. I didn't know her for quite a bit. She only started doing musically recently and she was very, ta she's very talented. And mm -hmm. the music that she's done for Artie Mars has been great. And to the point where I've been able to, I broke my own rule about doing everything myself because her music was of such high quality. <laughs> That's great. It's it's good to see that. It's good to to see that you've, you know, found someone who who you can trust because I, I think you know one of the interesting points and why I asked that question and I, I've been getting more into you know what is a solo dev versus what is a person who's working with others is just because everyone has their own opinion on you know what's the right or wrong or you know better way to develop things and I think especially when you're doing uh, you know independent developing it can differ from person to person on how they prefer to work on how they work best. Uh, and it's always just interesting to hear. So I just wanted to get into that. But that being said, I do now, I think this is a good segue because you mentioned a little bit about Lucid and kind of this being, you know, your passion project, right? Let's, let's talk about the game. Let's talk about what this game is all about, because this is one that, uh, you know, if, if people don't know about it, how would you uh, describe Lucid? Kind of what makes it so special? I mean, we've talked a little bit about it being your passion project, but what makes it special of, of you know, why did you want to create it? And maybe just like an elevator pitch, if you will. Sure. So Lucid is a lot of things, and I will tell all your listeners to that it will be unlike anything you've ever seen before because it is practically just the stream of consciousness of what's coming from me. Lucid doesn't have a traditional plot structure. It's a series of parables. Lucid is broken up into different levels, which are connected to themes of individualism. And each one of those levels is exploring some other dimension of individualism. Hmm. Interesting. And, and how is that represented from a, a gameplay perspective, right? Uh, this, so, so I actually, Lucid, one of the things I would uh, criticize it now, looking back on it, is that the gameplay and story are very disconnected. 
Hmm. Lucid, more than anything, is, you know, more of a walking simulator than anything else. Okay. And its platforming elements are very disconnected from what the exploration elements of the story would be about. One, you could maybe make the argument that uh, the process of platforming through these levels uh, symbolizes the exploration of self, but even I would find that to be shaky grounds to argue some sort of ludonarrative consistency on it. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's, so let's first start off. One of my, my favorite things about this game, just getting into it is how trippy it looks. Right. And I think <laughs> it makes sense from the the idea of, you know, what lucid is. Um, but where did you pull inspiration from to make something so abstract looking? You kind of talked about this just being like, uh, that subconscious of your mind. like what really pushed you to be like, this is the game I want to do. And this is why these elements kind of got put into it. So uh, many, many of the scenes in Lucid have actually been inspired by my workspace. Uh, there's one level that's uh, actually pictures a uh, image that was referenced from the desk in which I work. Uh, hmm. A lot of times when I was uh, struggling to come up with a level concept, I would stare at different patterns around my room. Uh, my bed sheet, for one, inspired the... Uh, both the starting animation in Lucid that's on the title screen, that's the uh, purples and pinks, mm -hmm. and also um, some of the tribal patterns that appear in later levels. More than anything, I try to incorporate different color schemes in uh, different levels. I tried to use a lot of blacks and whites, and as a secondary motif, uh, purples, pinks, and blacks. And limiting yourself in that respect made Lucid have a stronger visual identity. Gotcha, gotcha. And when it comes to those those levels, you mentioned the different colors. You mentioned you know the the changes. There was uh, something on the the Steam page that mentioned uh, every level in Lucid has a unique theme, level mechanic, and story for the player to uncover. Can, can you give a little bit more insight into, you know, what those mechanics might be and kind of, you mentioned it different levels of, of, uh, you know, self-realization. Um, what exactly are these different individual, uh, pieces that you're trying to explain per level? Sure. So the, the way I view Lucid as a designer is that each level could be considered some sort of painting, or at least that's how I intended for players to engage with it okay so different so different levels have uh metaphors and like presentation that you'll uh that the player can interrogate uh for, for an example let me think of a there's there's one level that takes place in a uh, 80s vaporwave uh, sort of aesthetic area mm -hmm. that has a um that has a theming around vaporwave alongside that with skulls and that's supposed to be a parable discussing complacency with the juxtaposition between you know a bygone era of nostalgia connected with the skulls representing you know someone who's let time go by for them hmm. the me mechanically uh I, you know, personally, this might be a little bit less highbrow. I'm a very big Mario fan, and I really <laughs> okay. enjoyed the way in which Mario games have a very tight mechanical focus where they introduce a concept, they complicate the concept, and then they conclude the concept with some sort of finale for the mechanic. And that's mm -hmm. what I tried to emulate with Lucid. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I like it. I, I, I enjoy the, the fact that you, you're taking it from this very, you know, metaphorical stance, this very more artistic approach. And then you're just like, but also from a gaming perspective. <laughs> yes. And that's uh, one of the main criticisms I would make of Lucid. But at the same time, I do think it's a pretty fun game. Not to toot my own horn. <laughs> well, that's what you're here for. You should be. <laughs> it's okay to toot. Uh, thank you. No, uh, yeah, Lucid, if it, if you do want to make some argument of ludonarrative consistency, just think of it as a walking simulator with some extra complications. <laughs> I like it. Um, let me, let me you know, uh, dive a little bit more into kind of the thought around uh, the story of this or, you know, the main concept, right? You talked before um, we dived into the game about that messaging for games and kind of that story to be told, you know, um, when, when you have, uh, a mindset like this, right. You usually want the player to kind of walk away from these games and, and have some kind of message or some kind of experience that comes across, right. When you have people who are playing your games, what do you hope that they're taking away from it? I think that varies from project, but to talk about lucid in particular, I wanted people to interrogate their own individualism. Even now, now so, but especially at the time of Lucid's writing, I was thinking a lot about what it truly meant to be an individual. Hmm. You know, in, in American culture, we do talk a, a lot about the nature of the individual. Yep. But I would argue that many of our societal institutions are inherently count, counterproductive to producing people who are genuinely separate from those social institutions and yeah. with that i i felt some frustration with that what i would hope that people take from lucid is to maybe interrogate this to interrogate the things around them and the groups they participate in and to not necessarily change their lives entirely but to question and perhaps distance themselves from these collective groups to try to find and realize inner potential of the self well, that's a that's a pretty big uh, ask. I mean, it, it sounds simple, but I'm sure <laughs> it's a lot tougher. Um, but I'm very interested to to know that there's so much thought behind this, right? Um, from just face value, when looking at a lot of games, you don't really think about that that underlying message. Um, let's go to a more gamey approach now um and talk a little bit about just some of the basic mechanics some of the things that you can kind of do in this game you talked about it being uh, more or less uh, a walking simulator with complications which i think is a hilarious tagline um but that should have been the steam page that should have i mean you could always update it um i think it's super interesting i i already touched upon this about how trippy the game looks and how the visuals are something out of like an acid trip in a lot of ways um, let's talk about movement in this game. Uh, when you're moving, your character has a echo of himself basically running behind. What is the relevance of this? Um, so I've actually heard many interpretations from, uh, people that have described it to me and, uh, the, my, the favorite one that I've heard someone from the audience say is that it's uh, trying to show the dimensions of self paralleling what the levels are, which are individual aspects of a person. I, you know, I do feel some responsibility to admit when I first started Lucid, 
I, that was the first thing I implemented, the echo of the character. Mm-hmm. And I didn't put much higher thought into the, you know, it was more just an aesthetic choice and any sort of artistic choice. Gotcha. But that one explanation that I heard of reflecting the different dimensions of self is the one that I've kind of taken to. And towards the end of development, I was getting really into the idea of it being a part of it. That's that's so interesting. It's it's really cool to see development from more of a conceptual side, right? When it comes to audience feedback, because I think that a lot of the times people will, in many ways, uh, not just games, but any any form of media or just general thoughts uh, that come about each and every day, is that it's as much as and this even goes into the game right of of like an individualism uh, and and thinking about what you contribute right there's no way to truly take that away from the the way that interactions from others around you will shape your life or your game or whatever it might be right like i i think it's super cool that it wasn't just a, a audience feedback of oh you should change this or this part is broken it was more of here's this really cool idea of what this means and it kind of conceptualized that and became that because it fit the narrative so well mm-hmm. and that and that ties in very well to the themes of lucid that one should preserve their individuality while accepting others into their lives lucid isn't a game advocating for isolation but the preservation of self in the face of a society mm-hmm. and in that same way i take into my life that i try to preserve what makes my art and myself you know me whilst you know letting others in to both my personal and creative life and changing it for the better yeah i love it um let's talk about the tagline because we we mentioned as as a joke that uh we should update the tagline but what we currently have in there is a mention of you cannot touch the white keys what are these white keys what do they represent and why are they such a big deal is this more of just like from a gaming perspective they were put in there or is there a real relevance to what these white keys mean to the narrative of the game no the uh the white key is the uh main thematic point of lucid in the game you uh in between levels you will return to a black room with a white key falling from a a mysterious hand uh, drops a white key into a room and you have to struggle to get it but the screen cuts to black before you're ever able to reach it Hmm. the uh, white key is supposed to is supposed to represent some form of existential happiness or meaning in life to me i always i always thought of the key as a representation of true happiness and satisfaction and that's kind of where the somewhat comedic you can't touch white keys tagline comes from and uh, throughout the game, you keep having these hands trying to drop you to white key, but you can never claim it. That is until the uh, end of the game, wherein you can finally claim the white key, but it is not a hand handing it to you. It is the player character handing you the white key, thus tying into the themes of individualism, not being handed your, your happiness, but creating your own. Right, right. Wow, I like it. That's a, that's a good way to, to wrap that up. Um, and speaking of wrapping this up, you know, now that Lucid is out there, it's been for for a little bit. It's uh, I believe it's on sale right now, but I think when this episode goes live, it might uh, not be at that time. But it's still yes, the sale the sale just started, so it probably should. Oh, okay, perfect. Um, 
But that being said, uh, you know, you, you mentioned having another project that you're working on. I wanted to give you a little bit of time to to maybe talk about that because I, I you know, what's next, right? Is is there going to be a Lucid Two? Is there going to be just different projects that you're jumping to? What does it look like for you as far as development goes? Uh, as as a developer, there was a uh, Lucid level pack that was celebrating some of the YouTubers that had played the game during the initial release. I was very thankful for them. But uh, I, I don't have any interest in making a sequel for Lucid. And uh, I generally don't have interest in making sequels for uh, any of my projects. The, uh, the, the thing that I would like to go to next is uh, and what I've been working on for the past couple of months is Artie Mars, which is an attempt to try and fix some of the things that I was dissatisfied with about Lucid development. So, uh, Artie Mars has a more traditional narrative flow. It has more mechanical consistency and connects better to the themes of the games in that sense. It has more consistent art, which is somewhat the thematic element of Lucid, but I still felt dissatisfied with. Right. In all the ways I felt Lucid failed, I hope Artie Mars will succeed while still delivering the thematic relevance that I think Lucid succeeded upon. Right. Right. Well, I wish you all the best of the luck. Um, the, the last thing that I always like to ask, though, before we do wrap this up, is I always like to hear advice from those that are in this space, you know, those indie developers, you know, for those listening who maybe they're interested in starting their own project or just getting into this space, you know, what are some tips or just advice that you've learned along the way in the number of projects that you've worked on, something that that might have helped you, you know, uh, when you were first starting. Of course, there's there's a plenty of online videos that people can find saying large list of what engine you should use or what you know art program you should use. But this is this is all that I'll say on this. Whenever you pick up a, pick up a project, try your absolute best to finish it. The, the main issue I find with a lot of artists, artists that I love, is that they don't have the stick to to finish uh, projects that they start. And really, that should be the goal of an artist, because an artist that cannot finish projects is one that can't have things to present. When, when you start something, you should try to scope it small to the point where you can reasonably finish it. So to recognize your constraints and to fight for your art within those constraints. Because it's too easy to let your projects fall by the wayside and to not produce anything of substance for years. In fact, I've you know fallen into that trap many times. And I'm better for when I started sticking with my projects and finishing them, even though not all of them were great pieces of work. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Ty, I just want to thank you so much for for your openness, for your candor about everything, even, you know, talking about uh, both the pitfalls and the successes of your game, at least from where you're sitting, right? Um, for those who are listening, Lucid is currently available, so be sure if any of this sounded interesting, uh, you got to go head over to Steam, pick it up. It's uh, on sale, and even if it's not on sale, it is not a pricey game, so I definitely recommend yes. it. Once again, uh, thank you so much for for joining. Yep, uh, Lucid Parables of the Ubermensch. There is a lot of games titled Lucid on Steam. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. I love the opportunity when I get to do podcasts.